0: it had tremendous impact. Again, some of the principals got mad every now and then, uh, but in terms of the buy-in from the administration, the superintendent um, and other people in charge at the central office, they thought it was fine. They had no problem with it, because it was was always designed to improve literacy and to uh, uh, acquaint high school kids with writing, interviewing skills, uh, sort of being self-confident about yourselves, and thinking about what you're going to do when you go to college.
1: From 1997 to 2015, high school students in Memphis, Tennessee got an unprecedented opportunity to talk and write about life from their point of view and get their words published and distributed across the city of Memphis.
0: We printed about, as I recall, we printed about 19 to 20,000. I believe them right about that. Yeah, we printed about 19 to 20,000 and we had divided them up into, you know, certain you know, numbers that will go to each school.
2: That's 20,000 copies of the Teen Appeal. The student produced newspaper that ran for 18 years until the foundation that was supporting the program left town and eventually pulled the plug on funding. I'm Brandy Hunter
1: and I'm Jackson Brown, and you're listening to Disappearing Inc., the grown-up story of a teen newspaper. We're your hosts, and this is season one, episode one of an oral history podcast about the teen appeal, a -a one-of-a-kind teen newspaper in the city of Memphis.
0: Well, I'll tell you how it came to me. Uh, my boss, my editor uh, at that time, uh, this was in the late 90s, now 1996, 97, uh, Angus McCarran was the editor and president of the Commercial Appeal.
1: If you're familiar with Memphis and connected to journalism in any way, you've probably read or seen Otis Sanford's work in Memphis News over the last several decades. The journalist, author, and now University of Memphis educator is a Mississippi native who first came to the city in the 1970s to write
0: for the Commercial Appeal newspaper. My career uh, professionally uh, started after college at the Clarion-Ledger newspaper in Jackson uh, where I spent a a little less than two years uh, covering everything from police to uh, uh, suburban government and even some legislature. Um, and then I wrote feature stories for them. Uh, and then I came to Memphis uh, uh, two years later in 70, 1977, and I was a general assignment reporter, became a federal court reporter. Uh, I covered some politics, state courts, and then I became an editor, a frontline editor, assistant metro editor. Uh, and in 1987, I left to go to Pittsburgh, and where I was the assistant city editor for politics for the Pittsburgh Press and then I went over to Detroit after that in 1992 to be deputy city editor of the Free Press. In 1994
1: Sanford came back to the Commercial Appeal and had been working as a managing editor for just a few years when U of M faculty pitched the teen appeal to his boss. As I understand it
0: the um, the chair of The Department of Journalism here at that time and one of the other faculty members, they had approached uh, the Scripps Company, which owned the Commercial Appeal, about some kind of a citywide newspaper project for high school students as a way to recruit more, uh, especially more diversity uh, here at the journalism department here, but not just here, just to improve uh, journalism in the, in the public schools. Well, the Scripps people uh, gave the idea to Angus McCarron, and of course, Angus McCarron <laughs> gave it to me, said, you take care of this. And, and I, but when I, when I heard what was being proposed, I thought it was a great idea.
1: We'll get back to Otis Sanford in a moment. Another key part of the Teen Appeal launching in Memphis was backing from the University of Memphis itself and the Department of Journalism and Strategic Media. We spoke with Dr. David Arant. He's the current chair of the Department of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Memphis. But back in the mid-90s, he was one of the faculty members really working to launch the Teen Appeal.
3: I've been chair since 2008, maybe a little bit too long, but I'm still chair. Still having fun. uh 1994, 95, uh, the, uh, when I was just a, I guess I was still an associate professor or assistant professor, uh, a colleague in mine, a guy named Dan Lattimore, who was chair of the department then, Uh, decided that that we needed to do some kind of initiative in the city's high school. We had about 30 high schools and at that time when we did a survey of the high schools about whether they had any high school newspapers. There were only about four at most maybe three or four or five that had newspapers that they were publishing high school newspapers and um, many of these these high schools at this time and as they continue to be were um, very poorly resourced schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were in poor neighborhoods uh, and uh, they didn't have a lot of uh, uh, extra activities for their students. Now we had some excellent high schools in the city like White Station, uh, you know, at that time even Craigmont was extremely strong and Ridgeway was also also a very strong school. And a couple others. And they're the ones, of course, were the schools that had the, the better students and the richer neighborhoods. They had the greater resources, it seems. And they had the high school newspapers. And it was the inner city schools serving um, mostly minority students um, in less affluent neighborhoods that had no... Uh, student media there, and so we felt like it was our responsibility as the journalism department in the uh, in the city of uh, city university University of Memphis to go and try to find a way to address that deficiency. And so, um, uh, Dr. Lattimore and and my colleague uh, Dr. Eleanor Grusin, who was the uh, professor of journalism in the department, also at that time. And I kind of set out trying to reach out to the city schools.
2: They also reached out to the Scripps Howard-owned commercial appeal.
3: Scripps Howard had a very strong foundation. Uh, it, 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 you know, they had uh, money to grant to journalism, you know, uh, programs across the country, of uh, uh, funds and various initiatives in the cities where their newspapers were located know every every year there's thousands and thousands of dollars and uh, they in fact um, endowed um, the journalism school at ohio university and 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 they also endowed um, their college there too for that matter and some other places like that but Memphis had really never gotten any big big grants from the Scripps Howard Foundation, even though the commercial bill at that time was probably uh, making a lot of money for the Scripps Howard Co- Corporation, and, uh, and probably a lot of the money that came through the foundation was, in, you know, mm-hmm. by the way, was partly because of Memphis's success. Well, the editor of the commercial bill at that time was a guy named Angus McCarran. And he, was a, uh, he went to the journalism program here, and he was a native of Memphis, but he was one of the uh, very long-standing and beard editors in the Scripps Howard uh, chain, and uh, also working at the newspaper at that time was a, a managing editor whose name was Otis Sanford. Well, with their backing uh, and our, our, our department chair's leadership, uh, we went to the Scripps Howard Foundation and ask if they would join a partnership with the Commercial Appeal, you know, the the Scripps Howard's local newspaper and the Department of Journalism to establish um, a journalism program reaching out to the high schools of of the city of Memphis where there were no media news newspapers in operation at almost all the schools except for just a handful of of the richer schools in down and after some persuasion uh, especially with the um, the the force of Angus McCarran the big editor who who most people feared they they agreed to uh, begin funding uh, our Scripps Howard partnership with the uh, University of Memphis and the Commercial Appeal.
2: So, the Scripps Howard Foundation funded the salary for a Teen Appeal coordinator who would work with the students to design the monthly issues and write articles. The U of M Journalism Department would host and mentor the student staff at journalism boot camps and workshops. And the Commercial Appeal agreed to print and distribute the paper. Sanford was a liaison between the CA and the TA.
0: Uh, I had spoken to schools a lot uh, and I did know that very few high schools in Memphis had a newspaper and this was the 1990s uh, so I was you know interested in doing this so I started working with the people here uh, at that time it would have been Jim Redmond who was the chair and Eleanor Grusin uh, and maybe a couple of other faculty members uh, I work with the um, The school, this was just Memphis City Schools back then. This was before the merger. Uh, And so I contacted and worked with the superintendent of schools at that time. I think her name was Jerry House then. Um, I participated in a, a, a lunch. I think it was a luncheon with all of the principals because the superintendent thought it was a good idea and so the principals met and I met with them to tell them what we we're trying to do there were there were some concerns at first that uh, maybe this was just an attempt to find out what was going on at schools by the commercial appeal sort of an underhanded way but no I mean once we explained what we we're trying to do we were trying to introduce students uh... to journalism and as a possibly as a career uh... and in addition to that, Scripps was willing, once we got it off the ground, Scripps was willing to provide at least four scholarships a year for students to go to college, two here at the University of Memphis and two anywhere else they wanted to go. Uh, and so we started it uh, in, uh, in 1997 is when we started. We used our printing presses, we had a designated day, uh, and then we used our circulation department to distribute the papers to all the high schools. I mean, it was a flawless operation, and I I do take credit for organizing that and getting the buy-in. That was the best thing, Robbie. I mean, our circulation director, our director of operations, which is in charge of uh, the press room, they were solidly on board with this, and they were willing to do anything it took to get those papers printed and distributed to every high school in the city.
2: You heard Otis say, Robbie. That's Dr. Robert Bird, our U of M professor who's leading this oral history project. During their interview, he asked Otis about the impact of the teen appeal.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. Because you've been involved in a lot of projects. I have, I have. So what is it about this one that seems to, to make it stand out? Well, uh, because of where we were doing it, uh, yeah I was I was involved in high school projects in Detroit and because we were bigger operation and we had people dedicated to helping uh, various students in Detroit um, I did a little of it in in Pittsburgh um, but the reason this was so different for me is was that it was just so huge and it impacted so many different people now we would have at the workshop Uh, That's that we generally held that workshop here for a week uh, just before the start of the fall semester. Uh, And we would start out with about we had 100 at one point. It started to go down a little later, but we never got less than like 80 students. Now, all of them didn't stick with it. Uh, It would wind up being a core group, I'd say, about 25 or 30. That was your core group that was going to stick with it Um, and I think the reason I say that it's the most significant one for me is that we're doing it in Memphis we're doing it in a place that has a challenge with literacy we're doing it in a place that certainly at that time when newspapers were still kind of ruling the roost that there were no high school newspapers except maybe at three or four schools. And so this was putting journalism into those schools in ways that had never been done before. So I say without hesitation that this is the most uh, impressive, the most significant journalism endeavor that I've ever been involved in where it impacts uh, high school students, no question about it. And the kids who went on to go to college and major in journalism. And then some of them went on to be um, professionals, reporters. We had a photographer in Jackson. We had one of the students went to um, the Treasure Coast in um, Florida and worked for Scripps Papers down there at the Treasure Coast. Uh, We had one who, um, well, two or three who worked at the Commercial Appeal. So, I mean, we were putting people in jobs that they never would have even thought about getting had it not been for the teen appeal yes yeah, it, i know the teen appeal can't take credit for people like katori hall or marcus matthews or all these people that have done really well they've gone through the program but it's
3: still a, a really impressive list of alumni right?
0: i would argue that the teen appeal can take credit for a katori hall and a marcus matthews and a kiona gardner Uh, Anna Kenneth Commons, and Tony, I can't remember Tony's last name. Um, I, I contend that the Teen Appeal should take credit for it. Now, granted, these were smart kids, Katori especially. She was marked for greatness already. But the Teen Appeal gave her an avenue, Robbie, to to explore her creativity, to explore her, the, the, the artist in her. Uh, and she did a good job at the Teen Appeal. She had a lot of bylines. I don't remember any one specific story. I just remember her name. And she impressed us enough that we, she worked as an intern at the Commercial Appeal. Uh, so I, I, I would argue that the Teen Appeal can take credit for a Katori, for a Marcus, uh, for a Keona, uh, and for all countless others who went on to do other things. There was even a young woman named Alicia Tillery that I recall, that worked on the Teen Appeal. I think she even went to Southern University, as I recall. But she came back and she was doing public relations, and uh, in, in I think she was working at one point with the food bank in public relations, and she then, I think she was over at KQ Communications. But Tina Peele takes credit for her because we gave an, her an avenue to be creative and, and, and improve her writing skills that translates into all the jobs that, that she had. And the photography uh, with uh, Kenneth Cummins. He was in Jackson for many years. Uh, and Tony, Tony Reed is the name. Tony was in Jackson. He worked at the Jackson Sun. Um, I think he went to work for uh, the government local government there, maybe working for the mayor. Uh, and now he's doing other kind of content generating stuff in Jackson I mean this yeah that the the teen appeal should should be front and center uh, taking credit for uh, some of the success of these students even though they were they were probably marked for some success early on anyway 16 pages,
1: eight issues per academic year, produced by hundreds of high school students over 18 years. And these kids took their jobs seriously. Teenagers turned this little experiment into a case study with an impact that is yet to be replicated in Memphis schools. We'll talk about that impact in episodes two and three with Dr. Eleanor Grusin, another person who was instrumental in launching the teen appeal.
3: For instance, I had a a student who wanted to interview the chief of police at the time, which uh, I still remember the headline, Top Cop Gets Questions from Students, because he wanted to know why young black kids uh, were most often stopped and harassed by police.
2: Thanks for listening to Disappearing Inc. I'm Brandy, and this podcast was produced by journalism and strategic media graduate students at the University of Memphis.
1: I'm Jackson, and you can keep up with the episodes by visiting our website, DisappearingInkPod.com. That's DisappearingInkPod.com.